Hi, this is Pastor Josh with Trademark Church. The mission of our church is to connect the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. We hope and pray that as you listen to this podcast, it will help you take your next steps in following Jesus. Well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. Hey, I'm much better. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and that was my boy up there. Um, it's been been awesome to see him grow up uh, through the years and be trained by Benj and other musicians. Um, and so it's good to have him lead us in worship this morning. So um, if you're new to Trademark, you're going to have to take a little bit to get to understand my voice and the way in which I preach. Um, but you better learn fast, okay? Because I'm preaching the next three weeks and I'm jacked up on Coca-Cola and coffee this morning and I'm gonna preach the whole book of Titus, okay? So grab your Bible and turn to Titus and I'm not gonna preach the whole book, but I'm sort of gonna preach the whole book, okay? Um, As we come to this season, it's the end of the summer going into the fall, and as you're aware that there's all these empty seats around you, that's because half of our congregation is camping, right? Because they're good Idahoans, and they're getting their last camp in before school starts. Um, But we ended a series of, of learning evangelism from Jesus, and now we're refocusing our hearts and minds on our mission statement. Can anybody here that's a member of Trademark tell me what your mission statement is? I got some work to do. <laughs> Only the elder knows. Okay, it's written back there on the board. I mean, I, maybe I'll just bring that up here. Connecting the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. So we're taking the next three or four weeks um, and focusing on what does it look like to connect the gospel to yourself and to others, to connect to community, connect to mission. Now, um, I wanted to give a brief history of Trademark. Because I realized as I was coming in here this this Sunday that I think about 10 years ago, Trademark was started, somewhere around this weekend. Um, We have had Trademark Point 1 and Trademark Point 2 and Trademark Point 3, and some of you have been through those versions, right? It's funny how everybody wants the latest version of the iPhone, but no one wants the latest version of the church. You know, they want it back like the way it used to be, right? But some of you have been through those versions and you've seen different leaders come in and different visions and different buildings that we've been in. And this book has been a book that has guided me and the other leaders along on our journey. Because the book of Titus was written to a young church planter. I was 30 when I started this mess, okay? So I'm 40 now, right? We've been doing this a long time. And, and, and this book has been something that has is, that is comforted me because it reminds the planter how to set up leadership. It reminds the planter how to preach the gospel. It reminds the, the planter how to instruct the church to do the work of the church. And so we're going to go through this book together, and we're actually going to do something that I've never done before, and that's we're going to read the whole book. The whole book together is three chapters. Don't freak out. Okay, some of you are like, I already looked, Pastor. I know, right? Um, But then we're going to come back, and I'm going to dig into a few places that expose the gospel, and I'm going to try to apply it to your heart and to my heart. Now, I can tell you right now, um, I'm getting kidnapped somewhere around 1230 to go on a rafting trip. Um, My buddy said that they're coming and getting me to pack my bags. So we can do this one way or the other, okay? You can listen fast and help me preach, and we can be done on normal time, 
or I'll just go right up till they kidnap me, okay? So like I need a little bit, you might be dragging, but I need a little bit of, of feedback, a little bit of energy here so that we can journey through this book together. Now, I know some of you here are maybe new to faith or you're exploring faith. Maybe your friend invited you here. And, and I hope that as we preach the gospel, you will hear it clearly and you'll be invited to follow Jesus. Some of you here are young believers. You've been a believer just for a few months, a few, few years. And I'm hoping that this scripture will help encourage you and train you to understand the gospel and grow in it. But I know that a lot of you here are mature Christians. And sometimes you're the hardest ones to preach to because you think you know the gospel. You, you hear the white noise, shh, gospel, shh, grace, shh. But I want to remind you that mature believers listen and obey. Mature believers come to the word hungry. They come ready to listen, ready to learn, ready to follow. So let's pray as we all come to the scripture together and try to journey through it to understand the gospel and community and mission. Let's pray. Spirit, we beg that you would teach us this morning. I'm not the good teacher, you are. And you've promised to be the one that convicts. You said your job description is to convict and to comfort and to instruct and to remind. And we believe that these words are holy and inspired. So would you breathe life into them again? May they change us. May they transform us. God, I pray for that person here that is seeking faith, that is trying to figure out what Christianity looks like. I pray that they would be drawn into grace this morning, that they would understand the clarity and the power of the gospel. I pray for that young believer and that mature believer that your word would instruct us together on how to walk in light of your gospel. Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to know you. And today I pray that you would direct our hearts to you, our ultimate hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Are you guys ready? You're not convincing me. Um, all right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to read through the whole book. Now, my sister has instructed me to take a break every now and then because she says, NPR says you can only listen for 45 seconds. And I think that's probably more. I, think that's, I don't think you guys can do 45 seconds, okay? Um, but I'm gonna, I might ask you questions if I don't feel like you're listening. All right, you know how to do that. So let's start there. Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness. Are you with me? In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching for which I have been entrusted by the command of our God and Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Stop right there. We know who is writing this letter. It's who? And he's writing it to who? Titus. So this is not even addressed to you. But you, through God's grace, get to receive it because this is an inspired word that has been handed down from generation to generation to the church that is inspired to instruct us. But we get, we're getting in on somebody else's call, somebody else's letter. The other thing that I want to point out is that Paul defines himself primarily as a servant and an apostle. When's the last time you, Christian, introduced yourself as that? You'd be like, that's weird. Well, yeah, it is weird, okay? 
But let's be honest. Paul is putting his cards out and he's saying, I'm not defined by A, B, C, D. I'm defined by my servanthood and my apostleship to Jesus Christ. And then he says these little words in verse four, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These words are so easy for us to let us just roll off of our tongue. But do you understand that these are the two fundamental pillars of your faith? If there is no grace, there is no peace. If grace doesn't produce peace with God, then it's not true grace. These words are words that maybe those words alone should shape your heart and mind this morning as you think about what would it really look like if I lived as a person who on the inside had grace and peace, how would it affect the way I would live on the outside? See, a lot of you, even Christians, are trying to find grace and peace with God. You're pursuing this Christian ritual. You're trying to read enough. You're trying to pray enough. You're trying to do the right thing enough. Even though you know that that's not the gospel, you still fall into this because you just want to have peace and grace. Let me tell you, Christian, today, God has given you that grace. To the person of Jesus Christ, would you receive that? This is not what I'm preaching. I keep going. All right. Verse five. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He goes on to talk about installing elders, which is the church leadership. It's it's his job to to do that. And then he says, these are some, some qualifications of this man, of these men. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer of God is a steward. He must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled holy, upright, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word that is taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Now, really quickly, elders are not perfect men. If they were perfect men, we would have no elders, okay? But elders are men that are known for these things, known for these things, and men that are not known for the things that they shouldn't be known for. Elders are, are the kind of people, think of them a, a, like a pinata, a pinata filled with the gospel, okay? As you beat that elder, the gospel ought to come out, all right? Gospel people, are you with me? That's the kind of people that they are. So elders, we take a lot of bruising and beating. I don't know if you want to get into this, Josh, but we, that's what we do, right? But they ought, as you hit them, as they, as they ooze, it ought to ooze the gospel. Let's keep going. In verse 10, now these are men that he's talking about that are trying to be elders, that are trying to lead the church, and they're contradicting the gospel. He says right here from verse 10, for these, for there are some who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. These are the ones that think you still need to be circumcised to be in God's family, even though Jesus has already come. They, they must be silenced. Pretty big word, silenced. They must be silent since they are upsetting the whole family by teaching of shameful gain as they not ought to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said that they are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myth and, to the, and the commands of the people who will turn away from the truth. But to pure, all things are pure. But to the vile and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. 
but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are disdainable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We made it through one chapter. We got two to go, okay? But do you see the difference in the men that Paul is calling to lead the church versus the men that he's calling to be silenced in the church? I know that's not very popular, especially in our day and age, right? To, to silence somebody, say, hey, talk to the hand, right? Shut your mouth. You're speaking stuff that's not gospel. But, but Paul tells his leaders that they're going to have to rebuke and silence and shut down people. This text has lived its way out through trademark. There's been men that have upset the family, men that have talked about things that weren't, that weren't the gospel, that tried to divide the church, and me and the other elders had to go to them and say, please stop, please stop. Paul's going to say later on, tell a guy to stop once if he's causing division. If he doesn't do it, tell him to stop again. If he doesn't do it, then have nothing to do with him. Pretty strong words, right? But if you've been around trademark long enough or a church long enough, you know it's messy, right? You know that it's complicated. So these words have been comfort to me in this church as we have been installing leaders and as we've been, as we've been trying to stay the course on the mission of God. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 2, we read this. By the way, it's going to mention... Younger men, older men, younger women, older women. So I think that means all of you can hear from this word. Okay, maybe if you didn't really hear much from the first chapter, listen for your part. But as for you, teach what accords with a sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent, in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be revealed. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Some people have taken those words and sort of unpacked them and said, okay, so this is what the older women are supposed to do, and this is what the younger women are supposed to do, and this is what the old dudes, and, and they get a little hyped out on that. Like they focus on words like, did you see there? It says that the women should work at home. So if, you need to stay at home, ladies, right? Well, first off, that's not what it's saying, okay? But did you see how what the, the instruction is, is that everybody here is responsible for somebody else here. You don't get to come and consume in this thing called church. If you're a little bit further in the faith, you've got to be looking to somebody else that you can disciple, that you can call. If you're young in the faith, your job is to find that person that can pour into you. Everybody here is connected to each other. It's not the job of the pastor or the job of the Sunday school teachers upstairs or whatever. We're all in this together. I like it how he kept it very, he gives the older women a lot more instruction. I don't know if that's just because they, I don't know if it's because they need it or in this context they needed it. I mean, he said that they should not be given too much wine. I think it's funny how women back then liked wine and women right around here like wine, right? Not that if you drink wine, you're a sissy. Okay, I drink wine. But, but, but I'm just saying that there's, there's these details and then there's these empty, empty words and then there's more details. But, but he says to the young men this. He says, young men, 
live self-controlled. That's about it. But I wonder what it would look like if the young men around here actually lived self-controlled. If they actually were aware of themselves. If they actually were aware of the things that are attacking them day in and day out. Pornography, over-drinking, spending too much time on this stupid device. Like if they were spending too much time on video games. I wonder if the men of this church would just live self-controlled. Let's keep preaching because I haven't even got to my sermon yet. All right. Seven, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech. Where I'm in verse eight of chapter two, that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants. Some of your translations may say slaves. He's speaking to a, a certain group of people. He's not endorsing slavery, okay? Bond servants. You are to be submissive to their own masters in everything as they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adore the doctrine of God our Savior. Paul says this, hey, the gospel actually goes to you, goes with you to work. And, and your, your boss should be able to understand that you actually believe the gospel that it ought to ooze out of you in the way you respect him or her and love them in the way you serve. You ought to live differently in the workplace. That's the gospel. See, mature believers know that we're not just here equipping you for the work here. Like the point is not that we just make you good church people that serve and greet people and make coffee and sing in the band and, and like that's what Jesus died for. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? That's not, now, not saying that serving in this church is not important because it is very important because you're serving the family. But the gospel, if it doesn't mean something out in the world, it doesn't mean something here. How is the gospel oozing in your life in such a way that it's connected to your workplace, to those you're submitting to? Let's keep going. This is the passage for today. We got there, Okay. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, Jesus, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I want to preach that in a second, so I'm going to set it aside. Let's keep reading. Remind them in in chapter 3, remind them, elders, this is our job, to remind the people of the truth, to keep preaching the gospel. Remind them to be submissive to their rulers and authorities and to be obedient ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. He's given a job description, a role description of a Christian. Like, is this how people would define you? You speak evil of no one. I, I find that hard to believe. I find there's somebody that you speak evil of. There's somebody in your workplace you don't like. There's somebody in politics you don't like. There's somebody here at Trademark you don't like. And you just quickly are prone to speak evil of people, speak down of people. You, you, you like quarreling. You're drawn to, to, to not be courteous to all people. 
Next week, we'll talk more about the Christian community and what this looks like. So I got to leave that, set that aside, okay? But, but he says in verse 3, for we ourselves were once those people. We, we know that we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to our various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and evil and envy, hated by others and hating others. Paul says that he understands that he once was not a Christian and God has saved him. He says, but in verse four, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, here we see again, God shows up and brings salvation. What did he do? Listen to how many times it says God did something. In verse five, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of the works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through himself, Jesus Christ, so that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Don't stop there. It says, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. You see how Paul didn't end the gospel with just God saving us. He says, keep preaching the gospel, that the gospel insists on good works. You can't receive the gospel and good works not flow out of you. The gospel insists that you live differently because you're not living to earn God's grace and favor, but you're living because of God's grace and favor. Insist on good, good works. Let's keep going. I can see the end. Uh, We've got a couple more verses. This is going to be a historical moment, by the way, guys. It's never been done at Trademark a whole book of the Bible, unless it was like one chapter, okay? But like we read a whole book of the Bible together. By the way, that's what churches used to do. They just used to get together and read the Bible. So we're actually being historical. Where am I? These things that are excellent and profitable to people, but avoid foolish controversies or controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Here we go. I told you he's going to talk about the person that stirs up division right here. As for that person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped by sinfulness and they're self-condemning. Now, when I send Artemis and Tychicus, do your best, sorry, do your best to come to me, I can't say this word, Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that they may lack nothing. I got to stop right there. Those seem like little worthless details for most of us, a bunch of names we can't pronounce, whatever. But do you see how he's saying, guys, this gospel movement is not just about you. Like, there's people that I need you to help send. Trademark, this is not just about us. We're sending people out. Who is the next church planner? Who's the next church planning team? Like, who are the people that we're sending to back to Mountain Home to plant or to Nampa to plant? Like, these are names, but the church is always moving and measuring itself not by butts in the seat, but by people on mission, right? So I know it's like, oh, well, 
you know, we got 20 less people today or 40 less people today. That doesn't matter. You're here because God brought you here, and so I'm going to preach the word to you. But who are we sending out? The church is a sending agency. He also says, do your best to make sure they lack nothing. Let me ask you, and I'm going to say it. When's the last time you asked a missionary or a pastor if they needed anything? Like, hey, do you need anything? Do you need a car? You're like, that's weird. That is weird. But the gospel does weird stuff through us, okay? What it's saying is not that the, not that the missionaries or the, or the preachers have some kind of above, better, like, status, but when's the last time your bank account did, made any sacrifices for the gospel? Like, the other day, we were looking through how much money we've been transferring to Zeke. Zeke is my youngest son. He's a senior. I know, I'm, I'm really quickly, okay, this is going to make sense. And, and, we, and he, he asked for small amounts. He's really smart. He asked for $7 and $4 and, and maybe a $15. But we, we started looking at it, $217 this month. That joker has got us, he siphoned money out of our account, right? If I were to look at your account, would there be any siphoning money out for the work of the gospel? That doesn't mean it just, just on Sunday morning comes in the offering plate. I mean, like, when's the last time you said, hey, I want to buy you a coffee, brother? Why? Because I've been blessed by God's goodness, and I want to be good to you. Hey, let me buy your lunch. Why? I don't deserve it. You're right. I don't deserve grace either. Like, like when's the last time you have let the gospel inform your money? Keep reading, because we got to go. One of my favorite verses in this whole passage and we're going to camp on this a lot next week. Verse 14, and let our people learn to be devoted, to devote themselves to good works. So as to help in the case of urgent needs and to not be unfruitful. People, are you learning to devote yourselves to good work? This is what grace does. It demands that we learn these things out of devotion to Jesus. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Drop the mic. We made it. All right. Flip back to chapter 2. This is where we're going to camp out. And not, not, not going to preach two or three sermons here. I'm going to try to preach one. But you got to help me. We're going to focus on this. In chapter 2, primarily verse 11 through 14, and then spilling over into chapter 3, we're going to look at the gospel power. Now, you know these are all going to start with peace because I love alliteration, right? The gospel power, the gospel purpose, and the gospel people. Now, I do that because it's easy for me to be reminded of it, but it's also easier for it to stick into you like Velcro. So we're going to look at the gospel power, the gospel purpose, and the gospel people. Look right there, and starting in chapter 2, verse 11, the gospel power. Now, I could preach a whole sermon just on this, but I'm trying to reduce it down to this. The gospel power is this, that God does the work. God does the work. For, our, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. God did the work of saving. God does the work of saving, and it's for all people. This doesn't mean that all people will be saved, but it means that there is no one outside the reach of God. And you go, well, what about that guy who did blah, blah, blah? Blah, 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 and blah are the same before God. 
their sin. So the grace of God is the one that appears, and the gospel is powerful enough to save any of us. Like, if you could have seen me as a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old and walking out of church and declaring, I will never go to church again. And, and God reaching down and grabbing me with his grace and then making me a preacher. How ridiculous is that? It's the grace of God. The power of the gospel is God. He is the power. So if you sit here today and you've received the gospel, it has nothing to do with you. We come to the table begging for grace and we receive it because it's the power of God. Now, I want to ask you, how is that power in your everyday life? Because, see, a lot of times it's easy for us to come around and go, yeah, we've received the power of God, the gospel. But have we stepped aside and think that now our good works are what sustain us? Have we stepped aside and, and somehow think that, well, yeah, God saved me, but... Or is there a daily commitment, a daily draw, a daily reliance on that power of God to save us, to continue to save us? God himself is the gospel. He is the power. He's the one that saves us. We read it there in chapter 3. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of our great God and Savior appeared, appeared, when he showed up, he saved us. This is the power. Look at this. Look at this power. He saved us, not because of the works we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want to insist on these things that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Do you see how this gospel, this power, is not supposed to stop with you? It's supposed to, it's supposed to go through you. And see, a lot of the problem for a lot of our Christians is that we, we have no outlet. So we just keep getting full of grace and then, I don't know, maybe we have to do something stupid so we can get more grace or something. I don't know. We have this weird, there's no outlet. Like God's grace is supposed to come to you and through you. It's supposed to bubble over. And so if you're not pouring into somebody else, you're not going to receive the full grace of God. You're not going to receive the power of God. A lot of people think the spirit was just for your comfort, just so you would feel better about yourself. That's a weak gospel. The spirit is given to you for the work of the spirit. Right? Because you have to have the power of God inside of you because he's the one that does the work. Let's stop being consumers of the spirit and actually be people that walk in the spirit because if the spirit doesn't show up, we have no gospel. The spirit doesn't show up, we have nothing to say. Do you see how God is the power not just to save you but to work through you? Let's keep going. We also see that God is the ultimate hope of the gospel. This is something that has been wrecking my life the last couple of months, and it was started by my great friend, Milt, who gave me a book. And that book has reshaped how I've seen myself in the gospel. Um, but one thing that's very interesting in this is that if you look in chapter two there, the gospel is, 
is really something that trains us and teaches us that God is our ultimate hope. Okay? So you go, well, well what, what do you mean? Well, because a lot of times we get saved by God, and then we're like, okay, and we don't even know we're doing this, right? And then I'm like, okay, so what do I want my, my life to now look like? Well, I want to get this job, okay? And I need a family, okay? And then I got to have something to drive. And then, you know, and then a house, right? And, and it usually starts really innocent, right? It usually starts really innocent unless you roll into big money or you have old money, right? It usually starts really innocent. But then next thing you know, you start placing your hope in this better life. And you start asking this God who saved you to help you live a better life. And so you start going, now, now God, um, I'm trying to raise a godly family here. Help a brother out, right? You're like, you're trying to get some help. Why is this falling apart? God, God, why is my car breaking down? Like, at what point can I get to the place where I have a car that works? I mean, you saved me, and I know that my hope's not supposed to be in my car, but, but God, come on. Or like, could, could this job thing just work out for once? Like, just, like, I just want to be excited to go to a job. You know those jobs don't exist, okay? They don't. Don't let anybody tell you. They, they accept the job of going to heaven one day, okay? That exists. But here's what's, what's, what's happened, is that when, when the gospel doesn't cause you to wait on the blessed hope, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the gospel puts something in us that leaves us longing. I mean, do you understand? We don't even know how to wait as a society. There's a stinking app my sister was telling me about. You can hire somebody to wait in line for you in New York. Right? It's where she lives. Like, crazy. Like, we think that waiting is bad, but the gospel says waiting is good because what you're saying is what I have here is not enough. What I have here is not enough. Now, how does this, how does this work in a day-in and day-out life? The power of the gospel is teaching you, is training you. It says that the grace is doing the training and the work to teach you that what you need ultimately is God. And so whatever trial you have, Whatever success you have, those things are pointing you to God. I'm going to tell you one of the most profound things that I've heard, and I don't know where it came from. Maybe it's just my own head, but over the last 10 years of planting, and it's so profound, you're, you're going to miss it probably, okay? So just give it a second. Okay, there's something about life that teaches us about God. Dude, that was deep, right? <laughs> no. But like, think about that. What if you looked at your life is that the whole point of it is to bring you to God? And there's something about life. There's something about my car breaking down. There's something about my family falling apart. There's something about, about not having enough money in the bank account. There's something about my success. There's something about my failures that teaches me about God. Because God is the ultimate point. God is the ultimate hope. Now, let me tell you something. This is something that you're going you're gonna to struggle with. If you're going to actively try to be a Christian that puts your ultimate hope in God and not this life, because you believe that that's what the gospel does, you're going to be conflicted with yourself a lot. Let me tell you, this week, these last two weeks, my family life has been, I can't even say the word, 
here in, in, the, in, the, in the pulpit. It has been a mess. Don't you testify, Katie? She's been there. Mason, you've been, I mean, and, and some of it's not, not sin stuff. It's just like, good grief. Like, I got a teenage son that's going into his senior year, and he's going this way, and my wife is going through EMDR, which is PTSD therapy, and then she has surgery that she doesn't know she has to have, and then she leaves to go on her trip, but she really can't go on her trip because of her boot, and then, I mean, it's just like one thing after the other. And I find myself doing this, like coming into every day, just sort of like peeking into the day and be like, how's this day going to be? And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good day, right? And I start stepping into the day, and I'm trying to just make sure that this day, I don't mess it up. Zeke doesn't mess it up. Green doesn't mess it up. Mason doesn't mess it up. Katie doesn't mess it up. None of y'all mess Like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a good day. And I almost got there, man. It was like Tuesday night. The person brought us a meal. By the way, thank you for loving us through this and bringing meals. Somebody brought us a meal, and it was actually really good. Not that some of them aren't, okay, because you guys are great cooks. But, but you know, when, when Tim brings you frozen lasagna or something, you're like, come on, Tim, right? Um, but anyway, um, I love you, Tim. You're not here. You're my brother, okay? Uh, by the way, love frozen lasagna. It's great. Um, <clears throat> but everything was like going great. And I found myself not really believing the gospel, but instead putting my hope in this day. And my, my hope was that if we can just make it through this day, it'll be great. And sure enough, like it fell apart like that. Two people ended up bringing us dinner. And we had to let them know that the other one wasn't bringing dinner because we didn't want them to feel bad, right? And Katie went and got tickets at the movie, and then we couldn't go because the person that wasn't in our church came, and they stayed too late. And then my old neighbor showed up, and before you knew it, the, the night was just a complete mess of awesomeness. And I was like, hmm, there it goes again. I'm putting my hope in this day, in this life, but the gospel trains us. It teaches us to look to our blessed hope, Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, so does that mean I'm not supposed to have good days? No, you get those. But it means that you don't expect those to make you better. You don't need those to make you better. You've already got God's grace. You've already got God's peace. And you don't need something to, to justify that. So when the blessing comes, you say, thank you, God. I know all blessings come from you. And when life gets hard, you don't go, God, what's up? You go, there's something about life that teaches me about God. Two more points, and they're pretty quick. A gospel purpose. It says here that the purpose of the gospel in verse 14, this is why Jesus gave himself, okay? Meaning died on a cross, lived the perfect life, his life for your life. This is why he gave himself to redeem us from something, to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify us to something, to purify us to himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Do you see here that the gospel gives us a new identity? It gives us a new identity as a child of God, but it also gives us a new journey. It gives us a new process, a new point to, to life. He says there in, in uh, the verse before that, that actually, in verse 12, actually it's God's grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Believer, how is the 
gospel been training you? Like, when's the last time you said no to something that was ungodly? You're like, what? That's weird. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You experience things. You see things. You're around things, things in your life. There's things that are ungodly. When's the last time you said no to that? What about worldly passions? When's the last time you had a passion and it was worldly and you said no to it? What about self-controlled, upright, godly lives? Do you see that the, the gospel purpose is not just to give you a new identity, but is to work in the day in, day out parts of your life so that you look different? You look different. You're, you're more shaped by grace. Now, I've said grace a lot, and some of you, that makes you uncomfortable because you're like, we just keep saying grace and grace, but what about, what about? Well, listen, the gospel of Jesus is grace is the only thing that motivates you. Do you remember in chapter 8 of of Romans where it says, there is therefore no condemnation condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? If you're in Christ Jesus there, you are not condemned. There's no fear that motivates you. There's no pride that motivates you. The only thing that motivates you to live godly is God's grace because he's the one that's given it to you, but then the more he gives it to you, the more that motivates you to walk in grace. So you go, well, actually, I think I just need to make a better list for myself, and this week, Josh, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work on the worldly passions and the, and the ungodly. No, you're missing the point. Take a bath in God's grace. And when you get out, you'll live differently. Last thing, the gospel people, and I, and I, and I alluded to this some, I'm going to spend most of my time next week talking about what it looks like to live in a community, to redeem us from sin, to purify us for himself, set apart for radical good works. You say, I didn't see that word radical. Well, that's because you don't really know how to translate that word zealous. Most of us don't use that word. Zealots were radicals. Radicals. The gospel people are people that are radical for good works. Good works. Has there been anything in your life this last week that was good works? If you don't understand what we're talking about, maybe come see me afterwards and we can go through that a little bit. And I'll talk some more about it next week. But, but in general, works, things that were good things that were right, actions that were pure, people that you helped, money that you spent, service that you did. Were you radical last week for good works? What about this week? What about if, if you show up tomorrow at work and those people are like, what the what, who is this guy? Who is this, who is this lady? Like, they're, they're actually like, I want to be around them. Like there's something attractional. Like they're, they're just doing these good works and they're, they're, they're living different than they were last week. What if we go freak some people out this week? Wouldn't that be cool? We come back and, and we're like, oh, all of our coworkers are freaked out. They want to know what's going on. And then we come back and we, and we worship Jesus and maybe they show up with us. What did it look like for us to live in a way that was radical? Now we'll talk more about our community next week, but let me, let me end with this. I'm not telling you to just go live differently and be a better person. I'm telling you to go to the grace of God and let it transform you in such a way that you see it called me to be a new person, it's given me a new purpose, and, and, and together we're gonna be a new people because the gospel 
demands God's grace. There is no gospel without God's grace. It demands it. God set up a system that only he could fix. And if he did not enter it, we cannot be renewed and restored in love and forgiven. The gospel demands God's grace, but the gospel also radically changes you and changes you and changes you and changes me. And cha- like, that's what the gospel does. It radically changes us. And the gospel insists on good works. The gospel insists on good works. So what I want to do is we go to communion. I want to see if we can sort of fold this together and that we are receiving physical elements that remind us of God's grace. We at Trademark don't believe that these elements save you. We don't believe that these elements um, are the actual body and blood of Christ. Maybe you came from a, a faith that did, and that's okay. But what we believe is that by taking these elements, this cracker, this juice, we are seeing that Jesus gave. He, he gave himself. The cracker, the bread, represents the body. The juice, the wine, represents the blood. We, we see that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. So we're seeing tangible grace, and then we're receiving that grace. So let this action today be, be an action that you come again and receive the grace of God and then may God, just like this cracker and this juice is gonna be digested by you, digested by you, may you digest the gospel this week. May you digest grace this week. I'm gonna pray and then the table is open to all who believe Jesus, follow Jesus. If you come from a different church, you're welcome here. If you don't follow Jesus yet, and you're a little confused about what that means, we would ask that you wouldn't take communion unless you want this to be the first time. Meaning that you haven't figured it out, all you figured out is grace. And you're receiving grace today the first time. Um, Josh and and, uh, Rick are gonna be back there to pray with you if you need somebody to pray with you today to help digest this grace. But let's pray as we enter into this time of communion. God, we, we need you. Our lives are messy or they're put together, but we need you. If your grace had not shown up, we would not be here. We need you. But God, you are the power. You are the power to sustain this mission. This church needs you. These people need you. Would you as we receive your grace today, would you pour it out in our lives in crazy ways? Would you remind us this week that there's something about life that is pointing us to you and your grace? God, may we be a people that don't just have a mission statement about the gospel is connected to people, but may we actually be people that connect the gospel to our hearts and to others. So God, whatever you need to do today in this time of communion, in this time of worship, would you do that? Have your way. Have your way with us. Table's open for communion.
We want to thank you for listening to the podcast of Trademark Church. For more information, visit our website, trademarkchurch.com. God bless.